evidence and answers. What is the primary cause of wars and conflict in the world today? According to the New Atheists, it is religion, belief in God, which is at the root of the conflicts in the world today. The New Atheists believe that belief in God is irrational, and the world would be a much better place if we could eliminate belief in God. What are the arguments of the New Atheists, and are there good answers to their challenges? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Dr. Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author, scholar, and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat will be answering the challenges of the New Atheist Movement. This message and Pat's article on the New Atheist Movement are available on Pat's website, evidenceandanswers.org. Let's join Pat now as he answers the challenges of the New Atheists. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Sometimes before we can share the gospel, we need to demolish arguments set up against the knowledge of Christ that keep people from taking our message seriously. So that's why we're going to study this group today, the New Atheists. Now, as we begin, let me point you to some resources that will be very helpful for you. This is the ministry I work for, probe.org. This is our website. We're a team of scholars in almost every arena of apologetics. We have scientists, we have philosophers, we have experts in the culture, we have experts in politics, in economics. I'm in the area of Bible, theology, history, the world religions. So we've got guys from all arenas. You're looking for answers. What's the Christian position on cloning and genetic engineering? Or Islam, is it really a religion of tolerance and peace? Issues such as that, you can find articles on it at Probe. Uh, Over a thousand articles on any issue you're going to encounter. PowerPoints that you can download for free and use in your teaching. A tremendous resource for you there. This is Evidence and Answers, the radio show I get to host. Some of the top scholars from all around the world on numerous issues. Well, nearly 30 years ago, John Lennon sang the song, Imagine. And the words went like this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us, and the world will be as one. In other words, the source of much evil in the world today is belief in God and religion. Life after death, some universal moral code that we're all supposed to adhere to. And if we could get rid of religion and belief in God, as John Lennon sings, there'll be peace in the world, the world would be as one. Well, would the world be a better place if faith in God and religion was eliminated? Many of the new atheists now think so. And the goal of the new atheist movement is to rid the world of belief in God and replace it with reason and science. And here are some of the prominent names you may recognize. They've had best-selling books the last 10 years. They're at Barnes and Nobles. 
Richard Dawkins, biology professor at Oxford University, wrote best-selling book, God Delusion. Sam Harris wrote the best-selling book, A Letter to a Christian Nation. Dan Barker, former evangelical pastor, now atheist. And Christopher Hitchens, here are some of the prominent names amongst the new atheists. The reason we're studying them today is because many of their arguments are very popular in the culture today, especially on the university campus. And when you're engaging the non-Christian world for Christ, often you're going to hear their arguments being repeated. We're going to look and see if their arguments are valid and if they can be answered. Now, in our culture today, the debate has shifted from Christianity being one of many views to be debated to now Christianity being dangerous and it must be extinguished. My friend Dr. Robert Coons, professor of philosophy at the University of Texas at Austin, stated this in an interview I had with him. It's gotten increasingly hostile toward the Christian faith, especially in the classroom. So I'm not only talking college, but at the high school level as well. When I was a student, the vast majority of teachers were not Christian, but a lot of people had the attitude that faith is a good thing and we're not going to attack it or knock it. But nowadays, the view among many of the faculty is that Christianity is not only misguided and false, but actually pernicious and evil and should be stamped out. Any student arriving at almost any college or university today will face that kind of attitude. So we see that in the struggle in the culture here, the debate has shifted from Christianity being one of many we're going to debate, one of many worldviews to be debated, to now being pernicious and evil, and it must be stomped out. And that hostility you can sense on the university campus or high school, whether it's outwardly stated or it's just an attitude that you receive. In fact, I just returned from Cornell University, one of the strongholds of atheist philosophy, the home of Carl Sagan and Will Provine and other prominent atheists. Well, let's take a look at some of their key arguments. There are several presented by the new atheists. We'll just cover three of the most popular ones you see. The first is that belief in God is irrational. That a rational, logical thinking person would not believe in God. Sam Harris, and you can tell the tone of the new atheists by their writings. Perhaps this is why they are so popular, but very uh, strident in their tone and in their language. Sam Harris wrote this, We have names for people who have many beliefs for which there is no rational justification. When their beliefs are extremely common, we call them religious. Otherwise, they are likely to be called mad, psychotic, or delusional. Richard Dawkins wrote this, Faith is blind trust in the absence of evidence, even in the teeth of evidence. In other words, there's no evidence to support the existence of God. In fact, all the evidence goes against it. Belief in God, which Christians exercise, is built on blind faith and not the evidence. And unfortunately, many Christians have come to believe this is the definition of biblical faith. We believe something even if it may not be true. Or we believe something even if there's no evidence there. We just take some kind of blind leap in the dark. Well, that's not biblical faith. Christianity is a rational, reasonable faith. There is good reason to believe in God. God never calls us for a blind leap in the dark. Christianity has never encouraged a blind faith, but one built on solid reason 
and evidence. As Ravi Zacharias states, biblical faith is taking a reasonable or rational step in the direction where the evidence leads. God is a rational God. He's a reasonable God, and He designed us as rational thinking beings. He says throughout His Word, Come now, let us reason together. Isaiah 1.18. Paul, one of the greatest evangelists for the Christian faith, Acts 17, as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath day, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. God designed us as reasonable, rational creatures. We're created in His image. That's the kind of God He is. We make decisions every day, looking at the evidence, processing it through our reasoning faculties, and then we take a step of faith in the direction where the evidence goes. For example, you're in a hotel in Waikiki, two elevators. One is dark, there's no lights, there's no music. Another one on the right, there's lights, there's music, and you saw people going in and out. Well, which elevator are you going to take? Well, the one on the right. How do you know that elevator works? Well, you can be reasonably sure. How'd you make that decision? Well, you looked at the evidence, processed it through your reasoning faculty, and took a step of faith in the direction where the evidence leads. You know, in some of the countries where I get to travel, some of the restaurants aren't, you know, five-star hotel stuff. And uh, when we see two restaurants, one, the kitchen sink is right at the front door. There's dirty dishes. The floor is really dusty. The waiters are in T-shirts, grubby T-shirts. No plates or anything on the table. And then the next restaurant, the floors are clean. The waiters and waitresses are in uniform. The kitchen looks relatively clean from what we can see in the back. Which restaurant are you going to choose? Well, the cleaner one, of course. How would you make that decision? I looked at the evidence, processed it through my reasonable, rational thinking, and took a step in the direction where the evidence leads. Now, it still takes a step of faith to put that food in my mouth, right? But I have good reason to believe that food is safe, all right? That's biblical faith. Why is it that we've come to believe that we make decisions looking at the evidence, using our reason, but when it comes to belief in God, suddenly we're supposed to throw that out the door and just believe in blind faith, take a blind leap in the dark. Christian faith, it's a rational faith. Christian faith is taking a reasonable step in the direction where the evidence leads. And there is a lot of good evidence for belief in God. Can't go through all the evidence, but many of the evidences have not been defeated. In fact, one of our speakers this past year at the Hawaii Apologetics Conference, Dr. William Lane Craig, he was our speaker this past February. Got every February, the Hawaii Apologetics Conference comes to town. He debated all of these top atheists, and according to the judges, you know, he won hands down. Here's one of his favorite arguments. It's called the cosmological argument, or the argument from first cause. First, everything that has a beginning has a cause. That's a sound premise. Well, the universe has a beginning. Scientists are pretty much unanimous now that the universe has a beginning. And we call it the Big Bang. We've got good evidence for that. The red shift, the radiation echo discovered by Penzias and Wilson, Einstein's theory of relativity, all point to the universe having a beginning. 
Therefore, the universe must have a cause, right? Whatever has a beginning has a cause. The universe has a beginning. Therefore, the universe must have a cause. And remember, the law of cause and effect comes into play as well. Every cause has an effect. Every effect has a cause. No effect is greater than its cause. Whatever caused the universe is greater than the universe. Whatever created time is greater than time, stands outside of time. What is a reasonable cause for the universe? A very powerful, intelligent first cause here. God is a very reasonable choice. Not only do we have that, we have the evidence from design or what we call the teleological argument. Every design has a designer. The universe has highly complex design. Therefore, the universe has a designer. For example, if you're flying to California and you crash in the middle of the Pacific and you make your way to a small, tiny, little abandoned island and you get on the island and you're walking along the shore and it doesn't appear anyone else is on that island, but suddenly you see on the island, you see a laptop computer sitting there with Wi-Fi. What do you immediately assume? All the wind and the waves and the lightning and natural causes created this computer? No. You would say, you know what? Someone else is on this island. Only an intelligent mind can put something so complex and well-designed here on this island. There must be someone on this island. Right? All the parts of a computer you can find on this earth. But what's the more reasonable conclusion? That natural forces put it together or an intelligent designer? And that's what we see throughout the universe. We see intelligent design. From the telescope to the microscope, everything's pointing to an intelligent designer. The more that we are discovering in the sciences pointing us to an intelligent designer. We have discovered as we search throughout the universe through the telescopes that we have now, that our universe is finely tuned, precisely tuned. It sits on a razor's edge. That everything is so finely tuned to make life possible here on this universe. For example, the universe expands at just the right rate. If it expanded any faster, matter would disperse, galaxies and planets would be unable to form. If its expansion were slower, matter would cluster and eventually the universe would collapse in on itself. Now the expansion rate cannot differ by more than one part in 10 to the 55th power from the actual rate. Okay, in other words, if you adjust it ever, ever so slightly, the expansion rate of the universe, you could not have the universe we have now. That's how finely tuned the universe is. There are 51 fine-tuned parameters to make life on Earth possible. We have just the right sun. Any bigger, we'd burn up and die. Any smaller, we'd have to move closer, affecting our rotation and that of the planets. Jupiter's orbit is very interesting. Why is the Earth not bombarded by comets and asteroids? Well, because Jupiter protects us from that. Huge planet absorbs and with its gravitational force pulls in those asteroids and comets. Well, why isn't Jupiter knocked off its rotation? Well, because Jupiter is not a solid planet. It's a big gas ball that absorbs those asteroids like a catcher's mitt does to a baseball. 
The Earth rotates at just the right speed. If it were turning slower, one side would burn while the other side would freeze. And then we'd have the effect as the other side came around. The Moon is in the right place to make tides possible. On and on. So many fine-tuned parameters to make life possible here upon the Earth. It's unreasonable to say it came about just by accident here. When we look at biology, the human brain is an incredible machine. This little four-pound thing in our brain here, we've yet to design a computer that can do what the human brain can do. I've got a good friend, Paul Nelson, coming out with a great book. Talks about the millions we've spent to design robots that can mimic what the human body can do, and they still, you know, after billions of dollars of research, we still haven't got a robot that can do what the human body can do. The brain is an incredible machine. The atheist Carl Sagan stated this. He noted that the genetic information in the brain expressed in bits is probably comparable to the total number of connections among neurons, about 100 trillion, 10 to the 14th power of bits. If written out in English, that information would fill some 20 million volumes of books, books that could go from here right to the moon. Carl Sagan stated, the brain is a very big place in a very small space. The neurochemistry of the brain is astonishingly busy. The circuitry of a machine more wonderful than any devised by humans. And then when we go to the microscope, what we're discovering in microbiology points to intelligent design. The DNA code, why do we call it code? Well, because it looks like language. Language communicates information. What is the source of information and language? An intelligent designer. Atheist Richard Dawkins said this, the machine code of the genes is uncannily computer-like. The pages of a molecular biology journal might be interchanged with those of a computer engineering journal. That would be like much more complex than the computer program for Microsoft Windows. Right, and you know how complex computer programs are. You get one or two digits out of line, your program doesn't function properly. That's how precise the genetic code is in our DNA. Microbiologist Dr. Stephen Meyer says this. In his new book, he writes, the probability of the right amino acids forming the precise sequence needed to form one protein molecule is one chance in 100,000 trillion, 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 trillion. That is a 10 with 125 zeros behind it. That it could just come about just by chance to create the right amino acid combination to form a protein that goes into DNA. So from the telescope, to the microscope, the things that we are discovering point to intelligent design. There's good reason to believe in the existence of a personal divine creator. Christianity has always been a rational faith. Throughout the Bible, God, Jesus, the apostles use well-reasoned arguments to persuade people to belief and refute false arguments here. In Acts chapter 2, Peter's first sermon as he's preaching to the crowd, what does he preach? Please believe. I don't have any evidence, but take my word for it. Jesus is the Son of God. No, look at Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. 
Peter says the miracles, the evidence of miracles, point that Jesus Christ is your Messiah. It says here in verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Pointing to the evidence of the resurrection. For David says concerning him, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Pointing to the evidence of prophecy. Okay? That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Pointing to the evidence of the resurrection. Christianity was never a blind leap in the dark. It's a reasonable faith built on good reason and good evidence. This creed in 1 Corinthians is an ancient creed recited by the church, and we can date this to within five years of the resurrection. Take a look at this ancient creed. For what I received, I passed on to you first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Okay? Pointing to prophecy. He was buried, raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to Peter, then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. Pointing to the evidence of the testimony of those who witness the resurrection. Christianity is not a blind leap in the dark. It's taking a step of faith in a direction where the evidence leads. And there's good, compelling evidence that God exists, that Jesus Christ is the unique, divine Son of God. I remember in a debate I had with the Rational Response Squad. They were once the number one atheist website. And when they opened the debate, you can listen to it on evidenceandanswers.org. They said, now Pat and Kevin are Christians and they're going to present arguments. They're, they're just going to say faith, faith. They're not going to present any solid historical or reasonable evidence. They're just going to say faith, faith, faith. No matter what we throw at them and disprove everything they're saying, they're just going to say faith, faith, faith. You just got to believe. And we've debated hundreds of Christians and that's what they say. That's not a good argument. Buddhists can say that. Muslims can say Anybody can say that. So when it came to our turn to open up, we said, well, thank you for clarifying that issue for us. That is not biblical faith at all. Biblical faith is built on good, sound reason and evidence. Right? Biblical faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Thank you for clarifying that for us. Caught them totally off guard. Okay? They didn't know how to respond to that. Christianity is not a blind leap in the dark. Now, principle to remember here. The heart does not commit to what the mind is not convinced of. All right? If you go to McDonald's and you're not mentally convinced this food is safe, you're not going to commit to eating it. You've got to have good reason to take a step of faith. The heart will not commit to what the mind is not convinced of. So often to our unbelieving friends, we need to build a case that Christianity is a rational, reasonable decision before often they'll listen to us seriously. Biblical faith is taking a rational step in the direction where the evidence leads. So that's one myth you've got to dispel. Christianity is simply the result of irrational thinking. It's a reasonable faith built on good evidence and reason. Second argument, science has proven God does not exist. The new atheists build a myth that science and faith are at war and can never be reconciled. Anyone being serious about the sciences 
would end up being an atheist. Well, science and the Christian faith are not enemies. In fact, it is the Christian worldview that gave birth to the modern sciences. For 400 years, Christianity and science were allies. It's the Christian worldview that gave birth to the modern sciences. It's only in very recent times have people tried to make them enemies. Look at the founders of the modern sciences. Many of these men were men deeply committed to the belief in God and many to Jesus Christ. It is the idea that God is a rational, reasonable God, that he created an ordered and designed universe which can be studied, which gave birth to the modern sciences. Look at these names. Johannes Kepler, father of celestial mechanics. Blaise Pascal, father of hydrostatics. Isaac Newton, perhaps the greatest mathematical mind of modern times, the father of calculus. James Simpson, the father of gynecology. Louis Pasteur, the father of bacteriology. On and on, you'll find that many of the founders of the modern sciences were men deeply committed to God and many to Jesus Christ. Just read their works. Well, this concludes the first part of today's broadcast. But join Pat next week for part two of this message entitled, Answering the New Atheists. If you've missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to this message and read Pat's articles on the New Atheist Movement. While you're there, check out Pat's new book, Unless I See, Is There Enough Evidence to Believe? In this book, Pat presents the compelling evidence for the existence of God and explains the shortcomings of Darwin's theory of evolution. This is a great book for every Christian who wants to be an effective witness for Christ in our culture today. Pat's ministry with Probe International relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join Pat next week as he concludes this study right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.